everybody in Russia told them it's awful out there. It's going to be terrible in America. You guys are going to be picking up trash from the streets and eating that. And now I'm halfway up. Now three quarters of the way up. And then I see the top and I fall off. A lot of us go just that far in our careers. And then we could go those two to three extra feet. And we don't even have to, but we could. When people talk about bravery, they think about these heroic and brave things that people have done. I often think that bravery is in the tiny, tiny moments, even with, and I mean this, with broccoli. It was ridiculous. Welcome to the Senya Maiman Show. I'm sharing three stories with you so that you get a sense of what this podcast will be about. And I look forward to playing with you in the future. Pan Am, Rumney Rocks in New Hampshire, and Broccoli. Pan Am. It's 1980, and I'm sitting in an airplane for the first time in my life. I'm six years old. We're flying from somewhere in Europe, as far as I know, to somewhere in America. We don't know what America will be like. It's me at age six and my brother at age four and my two parents. All we know is that we're getting to a place that will be home. We had been in Russia and we left because my family is Jewish. What you need to know about Russia is that at that time in 1980, there were 13 nationalities in Russia. Now what's interesting about that is that there were 12 republics, but there were 13 nationalities. So you could be Russian from Russia, you could be Belarusian, you could be Ukrainian, but the 13th nationality was Jewish. Why does that matter? If any Russian person was asked to show their passport on their passport, which is your ID, it's like your driver's license, on your passport, the fifth item down would be what is your nationality. So, so for some people it said Russian, for some people it said Georgian, Ukrainian, but for those people who live in Russia who are Jewish, it would not say Russian, it would say Jewish. For those people who live in Belarusia and have passports of Belarusia but who are Jewish, it would say Jewish. So not Belarusian, just Jewish, not Russian, just Jewish. Our passports were just Jewish. My parents didn't want us growing up that way because in order to get into college, a job, people always knew what your nationality was. And it was blatant back then. It was obvious that you could not get a job or not get into college because of the fifth item, the fifth item on the list, which was your nationality. My parents left. They were in their 30s with two young kids. They really didn't know where they were going. Everybody in Russia told them it is awful out there. It's going to be terrible in America. You guys are going to be picking up trash from the streets and eating that. Your kids are going to go hungry. But they went anyway. And there's a stopover. For us, there was a stopover in Europe, in Austria, and in Italy for three months as things get formulated, documents and things like that for us to get to America. So we're on this airplane, and it's a Pan Am flight, and it's 1980, and I'm sitting in a seat, and the stewardess brings us a Pan Am coloring book. And it's a little coloring book. It's got an airplane. I think it had a pilot, maybe some other things, some trucks in the background. And they, she brought us a few number of crayons. That was heaven for me. As a six-year-old, that felt so warm from this person, the stewardess on this Pan Am flight, and that she brought it to me, and I could use it, and I could draw with it. It felt so warm. It felt so welcoming, if I had known that word. And then we arrive. We arrive, and somehow a friend of my parents picks us up in a car, and it's dark. It mu we must have arrived at nighttime. And I remember my first thought, it's night here in America, in Boston, all of the lights as we were driving. So for you to know, why is that Pan Am experience important to me? Because 
of freedom. My parents left. I thought they were incredibly brave to have done this at such a young age in their life with two little kids. They left because they wanted freedom for our family. So freedom. Story one, the Pan Am story. Story two, Rumney Rocks in New Hampshire. I love rock climbing. I have been into rock climbing since my 20s and I've gone with various different groups, both indoor rock climbing and outdoor. There was a group of about 10 of us that climb indoors in the Boston area. There are a number, a few really good rock climbing gyms, but one in particular. So we're climbing indoors. And then I keep hearing about this climbing outdoors. I'd never climbed outdoors. I'd always trained indoors, thought about it indoors. And indoors, there are big holds. You can really hold on to things as you're climbing up. And then one day, we just decide, two of us, one who had been climbing outdoors before, thankfully, and I, just to go, just to go up to Rumney Rocks. And we drive up to New Hampshire from the Boston area, and we do a few small climbs, and they're so weird. It's so weird to be inside an actual rock as opposed to on a rock wall with yellow-colored holds or blue-colored holds. And for some reason, I think that the route we chose was around the Darth Vader and the Yoda route. I don't quite remember the name. I really want to find it some days. I remember it being a 510B, but in hindsight, it might not have been. It might have been shorter. So I climb it. I, we're there. I've, I've belayed in, I'm getting ready to, to climb. I'm, I look at it, I scope it out, I'm getting ready, and I climb it. And I'm climbing, and I'm getting there. This is maybe, I've done a couple of warm-ups there in the outdoors, and I'm getting there. Now I'm a third of the way up, and I'm halfway up. And I really can't even believe it, because this is, this is the full length of the rope. I mean, my belay partner is literally at the end of the rope, so this, it's the full length. That's how tall it is. I don't know what that is, maybe 30 feet. So we're there, and I'm climbing, and now I'm halfway up. Now three quarters of the way up, and then I see the top, and then it gets hard. So I'm near the top, and I fall off. And that's to be expected when I fall off the wall. I might go maybe two, three feet, maybe a little bit more, but I'm not going very far at all from the wall. We're what's called top roping, and it's so frustrating because there's this thing to send it. There's this thing to go in one go which is without falling. So I fall and it's okay. My partner says, take it easy. Look, chalk your hands back up. Just look, look at what you need to do. So I look around, I look, and I'm, I'm just so very close. And I climb again and I make it to the top. And I'm so excited. And my belay partner knows this because we've climbed indoors. When I get to the top, I love to look down. So if it's someone I trust, I will actually say like, can you give me a moment looking up here? So I'm harnessed up there and tied in. And uh, he says, sure, of course you can have a moment. So I look up and it's, it's, it's scary. It's scary up there because indoors at the rock gym, I'm used to looking down at everything. But it's it's intense, and there are woods all around, and there's an opening in the in the woods, and it's far, and there are lots of woods. This is not an enclosed space, so it feels so spacious, and it feels so amazing. And I'm up there, and I love it. And there's a very small area, maybe literally two, three feet above that, that you can go to sit on top of a rock, and it's it's still you're still harnessed in, it's still safe. So I say, hey, I'm going to do this. He says, yeah, sure, of course, go ahead. So I go up there. It's just above the top of the climb. So I go up there, and just at that very point, I scrape the back of my hand. And, you know, I was looking at it before. I think I still see it, but I scrape the back of my hand, and I've had this for over 20 years, this this little scrape. Just it, not a big deal, but to me, this scrape feels so powerful. So everything else I'd gone through on scrape, but then the last little bit got that scrape. And so that... That is part of me as well. And I think the part of that that's really related to what I do is I think a lot of us go just that far in our careers, just that far in what we do in work. And then we could go those two to three extra feet. And we don't even have to, but we could. And it might even mean that by, it might even mean that by doing that, 
we get a cut on our hand. We get a cut on our hand that's there forever for the rest of our lives. And maybe it's worth it. So that's story two. First was Pan Am. Second is the Rumney Rocks in New Hampshire. Third story. This is a harder one. It's about less than a decade ago. And I'm sitting in the kitchen just feeding one of my kids some food. Regular food. All good food that the pediatrician has said to try. And I didn't think anything different. So I give, I give my child some food. I think I was trying, I don't even remember, it was either egg or broccoli, different things. And within the next half hour, there's lots of vomiting, there's lots of redness. I rush to the hospital. It's an allergic reaction to, it was eggs at the time. And it is so frightening that here is something that I've given with my own hands to my tiny baby because I'm exploring the range of food and this thing caused this awful reaction. And from that moment, I've had that a number of times, even with, and I mean this, with broccoli. It was ridiculous. The part that frightens me the most is it wasn't even that time when the reaction happened, but it's all of those times after that. The next time that I gave sweet potato, the very first time that I gave sweet potato, I gave a thimble full of it, less than a thimble. I literally, I gave an eighth of a teaspoon. The next day I gave a half a teaspoon, then a teaspoon, then two teaspoons, then a whole portion. It is so nerve-wracking. It is so, I'm so on pins and needles as I'm giving this food and just looking for signs, looking for signs of whether this is going to be taken in fine or it's not. And I do that with sweet potato and it goes fine after five days. And then I do it with potato and it goes fine after five days. Then I do it with zucchini and it goes fine. So all of these foods, then proteins, adding in proteins. And every time, I swear, with every food, especially the really potentially reactive ones like peanut butter or milk, with every food, it's so watchful in those moments and so freaky because there have been times where with my own hand on a teaspoon, I've served the baby food that made them throw up and vomit and get red and need to go to the emergency room. It's so frightening. And I say this because every parent has had a frightening situation, whatever that might be. Every person in their life has had a frightening situation, whatever that may be. And in those moments of feeding the things that ended up being not an allergic reaction, like let's say sweet potato, in those times of giving it in small portions, that's where the scariness is. It's when you don't know if you've caused harm. When people talk about bravery, they think about these heroic and brave things that people have done, or they've stood up for big things. I often think that bravery is in the small moments. It's in the tiny, tiny moments when you give sweet potato for the third time and you just wonder, did I go too far in this size? Is it too much? And that's where the bravery may be. It may be in those small moments. I'm so glad you joined. I'm so glad we're here together. I get all of my emails. You can email podcast at senia.com, S-E-N-I-A.com. I read all of my emails. Write to me. You know, when I listen to podcasts that I like, I move them into my follow section, and then I can find them more easily. Thank you, and it's been a lovely time hanging out with you. This is the Senya Maiman Show.